Morning, everybody. There's a buzz going this morning, which is encouraging. It's a sign of life. It's a sign of life. Um, let me just get myself sorted out here. I've got a couple of things to start before we get into our teaching sermon. Let me reset that. Welcome to Living Your Bible Church. This is uh, our first uh, service. We have two services, a teaching service, a Bible hour, and which will be followed by our preaching service. Uh, in that service, you'll get a more formal welcome. Your names will be mentioned. You'll have to stand up, do a tap dance, and do something else. But nonetheless, this is just an informal welcome to Living Your Bible Church. And you'll have, if you've come here for the first time, uh, we are going through a series which has been titled Our Only Hope, uh, the subtitle being The Supremacy of Christ in a Postmodern World. We've gone through various um, aspects of living in a postmodern world as a believer. And this morning we will move on to our next uh, subject, which is Christ and culture. This is part one of uh, this uh, lesson. Uh, next week we will expand a bit more on this. We'll actually expand on it by focusing in on something, so it'll be a bit of a, of a that to get to that, and it'll become clear next week. But today we're going to deal with Christ and culture, and that is our, our uh, consideration for the morning. So, the question I want to ask at the very outset now, just something very quickly, uh, we're going to try something this morning, and those on camera will not see who's speaking, but uh, somebody has blessed us with remote, uh, not remote, uh, roving mics, wireless mics. We have two of them. So if you want to ask a question, make a comment, raise your hand, and Byron will run to you with a mic and talk into the mic, so we all will hear the question or the comment. Uh, I'll, give you a chance, I'll give you a chance to get the mic and speak into that. Those on camera, those watching the, offline, they won't see who's speaking, but they will hear the question. So just help us not having to repeat things. So it makes a lot of more sense on the recording that everything is heard. So just remember, there is a mic. Whoever is blessed with us, we thank you for that. This person is, is remaining anonymous. Uh, it's a wonderful blessing for us, and we appreciate this gift to the church. So here is my question, and you can raise your hands and answer this. What is culture? Now, there are different kinds of cultures. Uh, we have some people here working in labs. I'm not talking about that kind of culture that grows in the Petri dish. That's the culture I'm talking about. But in the sense of living in a society, what is culture? No answers? We all live in it. We breathe, eat, smell it every single day. We taste it. We respond to it. We influence it. What is culture? Let me give you a head start. Is it that? The environment in which we live? Is that at least a broad definition of culture? It just about touches on the edges? Is it the environment in which we live? Yes? No? It's not? Victor's um, one of those wonderful things. I'm watching whether it's a yes or a no. It's kind of in between. So maybe I'll give you a slightly more formal definition. Now, there are so many ways of defining culture. There are so many different aspects about culture. And here's a simple definition which I think will kind of get its arms around it for us to at least teach something about culture today. Culture is... The ideas, the customs, and the socialization of a particular people or society. Is that a culture? We at least agree to that. 
that culture is the ideas, the customs, and the socialization of a particular people or society. So every society has a culture. And as we will see, there are even subcultures, but that we'll deal with a little later on. Every society, no matter what the society is, no matter what the people group is, they all have a way of engaging with the environment, not only the, not only the physical environment, but each other also as people within the environment. So culture is an engagement we have within a people group as they live and survive in their <coughs> environment. What is culture? So, having said all of that, <clears throat> let's look at some of those defining elements of culture uh, and see how it eventually we can take those elements and see how we need to deal with them biblically. So, for the first few slides, we just deal with this in a generic way so we get a sense of what culture is and then we'll move on to something a bit more specific from a biblical perspective. So, there are, in the definition, there were three elements of culture and they were ideas customs, and socialization. Those are the three things you saw in the definition. So what are they? What are ideas? Things you do with your what? With your mind. Someone mind, mind. This is what you think. And we all have ideas, right? We all think. We all have opinions. Uh, ideas, what you think, is, that's our thoughts, our beliefs, our opinions. And we all always express opinions. Do you agree or do you not agree? Are you the kind of person to say, I don't have an opinion on anything? Just express your opinion on everything. We cannot disengage from that because we are living, thinking people. Our minds work all the time. You cannot uh, have a totally blank mind while you're breathing. And so you always have an opinion. Even when you say, I choose not to say anything, you form an opinion because you have either chosen to not say anything in response to a, a comment because you disagree with the person, or you feel inadequate, whatever it may be, but you have expressed an opinion. Even saying nothing, we express opinions. What is a custom? It's how you do things. How you do things. <laughs> peeked into my notes. What you do. Customs are what you do. Ways of behaving or how we do things in a particular way. It, it, it speaks to our actions. So we have thinking, and thinking, if you are a thinking person, uh, will be reduced to actions. Not always, but some form of out. There's always an outcome to what we're thinking about. So ideas are what we think, customs are what we do. What is socialization? So the, I've, I replaced the word, the, the, this definition had the word social behavior. I didn't want to take that word because customs has to do with also with behavior. But what is socialization? LZ. Hello? <laughs> it's been bribe. Oh, socializing. Okay, well, it's got the same root. So socialization is, that's what it's about. And this is what, indeed, this is where culture comes together or comes apart. Socialization is the process whereby an individual learns to adjust to a group or, or society and behaves in a manner approved by the group or society. And that's important. And this is going to become more important next week when we deal with part two of this uh, uh, Christ in culture. Socialization is a process whereby an individual learns to adjust to a group and behave in a manner approved by the group. 
That is critical in the day in which we find ourselves. It always has been critical. But we become very conscientious because of current uh, uh, um, trends in the world. This adjustment, <coughs> this adjustment takes the form of the activity of one individual which qualifies, modifies, or otherwise alters the act of another individual. And that is also very important. The fact that one individual acts, does something, that person will influence one or more people, that people then buy into that particular uh, um, uh, thought, uh, belief, concept, and then they promulgate it. In fact, what they just created is a behavioral feedback loop. Social behavior is stimulated by the society, which again stimulates other members of the group of society. And so what starts with a very small core could even be a single person, if that is carried across in a way into society, into the culture, and the culture likes what they're hearing, seeing, or feeling, or feel intimidated to, to agree with that, the culture then takes on that thought and then makes sure that others in the culture do the same. And that thought and concept grows. And that's where we find we have a herd mentality being driven through society and through cultures so that well, we all end up doing the same thing, we look the same, uh, we march in the same tune, we march the same step. If we get out of line, what they do? Starts with a C. They what? They cancel you. Step in line to cancel you. So here's how, this is how powerful this is. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> senator Tammy Baldwin, uh, Wisconsin senator, she was the first openly gay member of the U.S. Senate. And she led the charge to secure 10 Republican votes just to get the bill passed for same-sex marriage. One woman looking for 10 votes to get it passed, to get it reinstated as the were. Pew Research polling in 2014 found just 27% of Republicans supported same-sex marriage. So this is the bill she's pushing for. A Gallup poll in 2021 found more than 55% of registered Republicans now supported. So the momentum picked up, the groundswell grew, and so what was just one person's desire became uh, a reality in more than 50% of the registered Republicans at the time. 2022, one, uh, uh, um, a Gallup poll was taken in 2022, and 71% of Americans, of all Americans, say they support legal same-sex marriage. That is more than 40 points higher than 1996 when the question was first asked. So this is how culture works. When someone has a thought, and they turn that thought into an action, uh, that action is then carried across to uh, socializing others in the culture, and they either like it, or they feel intimidated by it, or it suits their purpose or their gender, they carry it, and in the end, the entire culture is doing the same thing. And so, I was shocked. I actually had to do a, a, a search for <clears throat> a schedule of all, same, all countries who have now um, put into law same-sex marriages. I was, my screen just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. It's, it's unbelievable. We only think of this maybe as a, as, as, as a caveat. It's not. It has invaded every part of the globe to the smallest populations on islands and in little places that's remote, places that have been uh, strongly Catholic, Roman Catholic. You talk about South American countries, uh, Latin countries, all have bought into this because the culture has become 
socialized to that thought. Any questions? Any comments? There's a lot of... Uh, Don, does you want a, do you want a mic, Don? Can you speak loud enough? Give him a mic. Let's, let's, let's try. Give him a mic. Give him a mic. Let's try. Oh, He's a guinea pig. Give him a mic. There you go. So, as you were just discussing how quickly the tsunami of Haiti travels the world, it has a lot to do with semantics and euphemism. Yeah. So when they change the words, they change the minds of the people. Correct. So rather than saying, for example, child sacrifice, yes. we all call it abortion. Yes. Um, rather than call it a baby, call it a fetus. Yes. Why with just gender, why not have trans chronological marriages yes. as a 70-year-old and a 12-year-old? Absolutely. Why not? And they can't answer that because you've changed the terminology. So, so that's how socialization is, is so quickly changing because yeah. we've lost the biblical rooting of putting of what these words really mean and yeah. always mean. Yeah. Because we're living in a post-Christian society. Exactly. And hold that thought because that we're going to try and drive home quite significantly next week in a very special area. And so, yeah, it's, that, it's, that, it's the retelling of a tale of, uh, of, re of re-articulating what has been clearly understood in the past for thousands of years and is now being re-articulated uh, in a way which makes it a lot more palatable, fits in with our, 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 our sensitivities, and we say, well, we're not really as bad as you think it is. So if, and Don's thought is, 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 is seriously important because not only has that love now been transferred not from between a heterosexual couple, it's now a same-sex couple, now it's uh, across all ages, so you become, a, what is the term they use for pedophiles now? It's um, a mind-attracted person. What is the thing that people love the most above all things else, besides themselves? What is the thing that people will give everything for to make sure that that thing is comfortable? You all know this answer. It's their pets. There's one more, there's one more, there's one more barrier to cross to love and marry. People are already marrying the cats and the dogs, believe me. So here's the trajectory. Here's the trajectory. The trajectory was uh, couples living out of wedlock to, and it's gone all the way out to same-sex marriage. Now it would be a pedophilia, which is going to be repackaged. And the only next thing is bestiality. So I'm saying that as a captain. That was part of my talk this morning. But watch the trajectories. These things do not just happen and go away. Socialization is a dangerous thing. And we all get socialized if we're not careful. Uh, I must try and get to, this, to the slides. Okay. So here's a couple of, let's define, uh, look at some of the defining elements of, of culture. Question. Are all are believers... Influenced by the culture. Are we influenced by the culture? Gaino says yes. Sadly, yes. Sadly, yes. I agree with you. Yes. And the reason why we get influenced by the culture is because we're part of the culture. Uh, we are part of the culture in everything we do, in what we think. We are so influenced by the culture, we don't even realize we are being influenced by the culture. This week... All of us in this room, if you're watching the news, were probably triggered. 
I must be very careful to say now because there's some KZNians sitting in the room, but I trust my brothers and sisters. This week, we all formed opinions uh, within a cultural context because we were driven by things happening in the culture. This week, many of us formed opinions about President Ramaphosa, about the SA judicial system, about the Department of Correctional Services. We all came to conclusions about this whole issue and about what we think about this country as a whole because of what happened to one man, Jacob Zuma. We were all seething or, or cheering. I'm not sure where your, where your allegiance lies. I'm not going to say one way or another. But none of us, having seen what happened, came away feeling, ugh, it's one of those things. And so we, our thinking was directly impacted by the culture of the South African ruling party. A party that we know is, is driven by corruption, nepotism, cronyism, and patronage. And so that culture of that ruling party impacted every one of us in this room. If we saw the news, if we had our ears to the radio, and our culture influences our thinking. Do you agree? Or do you think that you are isolated from that? What about what we do? Does a culture affect us in what we do? We do, all, we do things all the time. Things embedded in the South African culture without thinking about the action or the consequence. Let me take something that's very common. That is typical of the South African culture. And something that you and I observe every single day. And I dare say that some of us have been guilty of this, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally, because you just become uh, uh, desensitized, we do this. South Africans have a culture of driving through red traffic lights. Or red robots, as we should say. When we see an amber light, what do we do? We speed up. And we all know what amber means. It means we should be slowing down. So it's a culture of driving through traffic lights. So what, 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 what went from just getting through an amber light, sort of going through, getting through a red light, so you say, as long as I cross the next line before it goes red, I'm okay. So you shoot through there. We now drive through red lights completely. All of the, all of the, this is not one sector of, of, of the community. It's everywhere. You can go from Kailicha to Constantia, from Bergfried to Bonteville, they all do the same. It happens all the time. And so we sometimes get caught up in that. And when we are caught, what are we going to tell the cop? What's the first thing we're going to say to him? Oh, are, that guy did it. The taxi just went through. Why didn't you stop the taxi? The taxi went through. What about him? So what we've done is we've allowed our decision-making and our actions to be dictated by what is a culture propagated by others. And so what we do is influenced by our culture, whether we like it or whether we think about it or not. It becomes almost second nature. What about how we influence the people around us? Does the culture touch us there? How we are influenced and how we influence people around us. I'll give you some very serious stats. Stats essay says, and they've broken this up into um, population groups. I don't want to use the word racial groups because that's a misnomer. There's only one racial group, right? That race is called the? The uh, human race, right. But we know demographics in South Africa and every country, so they broke it up into demographic groups. Almost 70% of black children live without biological dads at home. The report revealed that only 
31% of black children stayed with their biological fathers, compared to 51.3% of colored children, 86.1% of Indian Asian children, and 18% of white children. These are, this is a population, uh, sh this is showing the, the, the stats of what percentage of children live in homes without fathers. So take your head away from the demographic uh, definitions and just think of that as a whole. So let me make it a whole. Let's bring it out to Cape Town. And we know that in Cape Town we have a, a, a mixture of, of, of people. Of the more than one million births recorded in 2021 in Cape Town, no demographics, just people in Cape Town. Of the more than of one million births recorded in 2021 in Cape Town, over 60% were registered without the details of fathers, which means they grew up in a home without a father. Now you ask yourself, is there a direct correlation between that kind of uh, uh, um, um, situation and the level of crime and the overflowing prisons that we have today because of lack of proper examples in the home, fatherly examples in the home? Can it be, put, can it be a, a, a correlation? Well, I don't say so, but many others do, and this is not a South African phenomenon. Throughout the world, we've seen an increase in the correctional institutions be filled with men, mainly men, who have failed to be brought in a home where a father set the example of being a loving father, a caring father, a father of discipline, and we inculcate in his son the values that make for a good father. And so culture has affected us in such a way that even in our homes, this is a a reality. What about our occupations? Does our occupation influence us, our place where we work, and do we have an influence on the place where we work? Do they, for instance, change their language, or do you socialize them? Do they change their language when you walk into a room and they're having lunch? And all of a sudden they walk in and the swearing stops, and the filthy language stops, and they say to you, um, sorry Lorenzo, I didn't mean to offend you. And I only say that because you have, for your entire life at work, shown them what you believe, what you think, what you do, and how you live, and you can socialize them, so they become socialized by your, by your uh, example. But the reverse is also true. When they speak, uh, what about when they speak in an ungodly way and you keep silent? When they make jokes that's um, unsafe and you keep silent, or may even smile along, your silence gives them encouragement to continue, you become a negative influence on their behavior. So these influences go both ways, which is why it says, once this thing starts rolling, one person affects more and more, affects many more, and so becomes a culture. And so eventually, you find yourself as a born-again believer who normally would do his utmost, or her utmost, to live in an environment where there is no filthy talk, no foul language, no swearing, no unsavory talk. You find yourself working day by day, in the environment and it just rolls off you eventually because you become socialized to that uh, in that context. Agreements, disagreements, questions? Uh, mic for, for Gaten, please. For Gaten, please. You don't want the mic? You must shout. It's part of culture. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. 100% agreed. I agree with you 100%. And 
The reason why I started saying this is a bit of a hard to get definition is because culture is such a broad term. Uh, it's like talking about um, architecture. What's architecture? What's good architecture? What's appreciated? What, what architecture is uh, acceptable? What is not acceptable? What is architecture? It's a, it's a blanket word. It's, a, it's, a, it's what I would probably call it a, a, a suitcase word. It, can, it contains so much inside that to unpack everything becomes almost an um, encyclopedia. But you're right, absolutely right. Culture is not just the bad, and we're going to show that. And that's exactly where we come in. Because we will see from next week's talk that by not being, not continuing to be the good part of culture, good in the sense that we have been given a role to play in culture, um, culture continues to do badly. So, to that point, to that point. Yes, you may. You may ask. First, isn't it also influenced by your worldview? Because how you think is influenced by your worldview. You have a biblical worldview because then you think in that manner. And what you do, your actions will determine that and it will also come down to your worldview as well as your influence among other people. So that's my comment for that, but then I want to ask So, yes, yes, yeah, and yes, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. So, you, you said something that you'd think. So, you'd think that if a person has a biblical worldview, then they would influence a culture in a biblical way. Basically. That's what we're called to do, right? Yeah. And we're going to get there. Okay. okay. Uh, but none of us has a culture which is separate from everybody else. I mean, we go there with this next slide. So, this next slide touch starts with Gaynor actually made a comment. I said really about that, and I saw I ended the back. Um, yeah, I think on the biblical worldview side, um, in some cases, even those with biblical worldviews are compromised by culture. Seriously so. Yeah. Horrendously so. <coughs> and so, I'm going to give you a bit of a sneak preview. Next week, we're going to look at how the culture of gay Christianity is causing devastation amongst evangelical churches. All I'm going to say about it is that's where I want to go to eventually because they're going to see the real impact of a society, not just a culture being changed, but a subculture being changed that formally stood totally against that, they were diametrically opposed to that view. So that's where we're going to. So the question again, back to again, was is culture a good or a bad thing? Yes, it is. So give, explain. Unless it goes along with um, severe alcohol intake. 
Then you start feeling like you can be fair. Were you brying, bro? Were you brying? No, I have to say it's again because in the Bible I think from Balfour Jenkins. No, 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 it's fine. I'm not a legalist, but so if it has condemned because of the Satanists in the Bible for Jenkins. Yeah. So my point is in dividing lines between good and bad in their culture is ultimately what has divided. Okay, agree with you. Agree, but so uh, I'm disagree with you. You will see that, that that agreement is going to come out of our talk. So we use culture in two ways. Culture can be used to define or to or to or to encapsulate what we do, our actions, our, our our customs. Those that's what culture is. Our culture is. I I belong to a culture that loves Gatsby's, and I have voted to be out of that. Gatsby eating process. <laughs> give me a give me a medium rare steak any day, but um, not on not not on the roll. <laughs> but culture is also the environment in which that culture is carried out. So my question goes back to: Is culture good or bad? And back to Shanton's point: culture culture is a is a neutral word, and it has a good connotation because culture in the sense of the environment in which we live, was given to us by God. That's the culture. God has created this entire global culture in that he's given us a world, a place to live in. He's given us, he's given man the uh, dominion over the creation, which means man's got to use his mind and think. Man did things, he named animals, and he was, going to, he was given the, the, the task of looking after God. He had to do things. And man was supposed to populate the world with as many children as he possibly could. This world's not overpopulated, eh? believe me. This world's way from overpopulated. God says, be fruitful and multiply. It means that we must stop multiplying. And that would have been um, man uh, propagating a, 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 a people who would become a culture. So that was put in place by God right at the beginning. But culture can be contaminated by our worldviews, and that's exactly what has happened. Uh, and we have different worldviews going all over the place, but primarily there are two. There's one that honors God, and there's one that dishonors God. And those are the only two worldviews we ever consider. Wayne? So, so I've got stance that read, um, they say they're Christian, but they also have to make a trip to the Eastern Cape because of the ancestors. Mm-hmm. So the Christian, they believe it all their heart, they know Jesus and what Jesus did for them, but because of culture and how they've been indoctrinated through that process since birth, they become, some become some gormas, and they have to make that trip for some sort of cleansing in the Eastern Cape. Was the early church a church that came out of different cultures? What were the cultures? Okay, Gentiles is a very big number, so the Jews, Romans, Greeks, various kinds of pagans, Scythians, Parthenians. And what does Paul say when those come into the church? What does Paul say about that separation between cultures? You're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. You are one in Christ. And that change from being one in Christ, all those things that belong to your culture, where especially where it touches on your, on your, on your faith, based thinking, uh, as skewed as it may be there, whatever touches on that has got to be jettisoned, thrown away, because that is in total conflict to what Christianity is. So 
you can't cling, you can't cling to a culture uh, just because it's where you, where you grew up and then claim to be a slave of Christ who demands everything or nothing. That's what you mean. Yeah. So when you share the gospel with them, that is so difficult in that cultural nuance where you're sharing Christ with them and they know Jesus and what he's done and how he's died and for them, but you can't break through that culture. So that is probably one of the hardest things with actually sharing the gospel with them. I think anybody who has a resistance to the gospel from a, from a specific perspective is always hard to break through to them. Uh, as much as we try and convince them of their folly, we can't change their hearts and their minds. We only present the gospel to them and allow the Lord to use the gospel presented by, by using his word to change their hearts so they may come out of that. Now, when people claim to be Christian and they know Jesus, a lot of people know Jesus. The demons knew Jesus was, clearly. Were they believers? No. So just claiming to know Jesus and claiming to be a Christian doesn't mean anything unless your life, your worldview, and everything you espouse ties up biblically up and down without any deviation. And that again, we pick up our next week because it is rife and it is dangerous and it, has, it is decimating the church of Jesus Christ. So, culture good or bad, we know that it's a good environment which has become tainted by sin, but um, God has made things made it good. Can we speak about a Christian culture? LZ, is it that? Yeah, I actually have a question. Okay. You know this answer. You know the answer. Here's the answer. You spoke about the men going to do Bible study. That's one aspect of the culture that this church espouses and many churches like that. So breaking of bread on Sunday morning, is that part of that socializing? Uh, Bible study on a Wednesday night? Right. So here's a definition. Or here's not a definition. Here's a description of, a Christian, of Christian culture, biblical culture. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? Every time we open this word in a group setting, we are following the apostles' teaching. Uh, and the fellowship, what's fellowship? It covers almost every time we meet. It's, it's more than just having cake and tea, but it certainly can start there. So every time we get together, uh, there is a sense of fellowship. And not only together, we also have a sense of fellowship with our brothers and sisters all the time because we're one body. The breaking of bread. Do we do that? That's part of our socializing as a, as a body of Christ. And prayers. We, we need a little bit more of that. But we do do it. So there's the framework that we have as our social structure. And that, in, that includes everything we do. 
everything we do. I'm not going to finish my lesson this morning. Do yes. I'm going to understand the question. You said? Like, when I think of you, Krishna, yes. the Christians were encouraging that book. To do what? Um, to not go back to the old way. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of our culture. It's part of our culture. It's part of our culture. So who, who brings the trial? So can you think of a biblical um, teaching where God would put you to a trial by sending you back to your old life? What must you do with the old life? It's crucified. So what's, what is there to go back to? A dead man? A corpse? An empty shell? A skeleton? Dust? That's what the old life should be, right? So the trial will never be God taking you back to your old life. A trial will be God taking you through something in this life, which is not leading to sin, which is not leading to the old life, but will cause you to, have to come to Him in dependence, so that you can realize that you can do nothing without Him, that you realize you need to depend on the Holy Spirit and on the guidance of His Word. And through that trial, you grow and become more than what you will be going in. So going in, you are a Christian, not an old Christian, not an old person, that's gone. You're this, you're this new man, this new person, comes through the trial, and if you respond properly in the trial, you come through refined, a bit closer to the image of Christ. If you don't come through in that way, you come through it disobeying God, and you need to do more to do to bring it right. So a trial is never going back to the old life, not in any form or fashion. Wayne? We all, but we're all dedicated. You're either dedicated male or dedicated female. You can't do anything in between. God dedicates us to a specific... I think she said what she said. I think I understood what you said. Was I right? No, you aren't. Yeah. I got those practices that we might be tempted to. Yeah. Yeah. We, did one, we, did once in, we did once as a church body. Yeah. Yeah. But you're saying it can't be that because we will, we will be proud. 
I'm not sure if you're on the same wavelength, but we can discuss it again another time. But dedication of babies in the church, it's, it's something churches do or don't do. It's not a requirement. It's not a prerequisite. And you want to go back to baptizing your baby, then you have to talk to the elders pretty quickly. Very quickly. We need to sort you out very quickly on that. Um, all right? So, must we talk to you? Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> All right, so Christian culture. Is there such a thing? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, the thing is, uh, are we an opposing culture? Do we oppose the current culture? Or are we a subculture of that current culture? Should we be a benefit to the culture? Or should we be a function separately from the culture? Are we opposing? Or are we sub? What do you think? We should be a church. What? Okay. You, you're saying both? You're saying both? Well, the influence, you should be influencing the culture. Yes. Yes. Okay. I agree with you. I think they're not mutually exclusive. I don't think they're not mutually exclusive. But I think both are realities which we must deal with as a church, right? Uh, a subculture is a cultural group within a larger culture, often having beliefs or interests that at variance with those of the larger culture. Um, turn to John chapter 17. <clears throat> and I may have to finish with this. I won't get through the rest of it because of time. I will pick it up next week from where we leave off. And I think it's a good place to actually leave off. Give you some time to think about something. It's John chapter 17. Does Jesus identify in this prayer <coughs> the church as a subculture of a greater culture? Am I pushing it? Is my theology now going borderline? You've all read it so often. Does Jesus identify a group, a subculture, a subgroup that has to function within a larger group? Verse 6. <coughs> I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Uh, the people that was given to him, are they a subculture of the greater culture? Are they a subgroup of the greater group? Jesus thought so. In fact, there was a specific group that belonged to the Father, and we know why they belonged to the Father. And the Father gave them to the Son, and he says... I've manifested the name to this people, those people, this group of people whom you gave me out of the world. So, according to John 17, verse 6, the Christian subculture is identified as that. We are in the world, but not of it. Secondly, um, to, which, to what degree are we part of the culture? Same, same, same chapter, chapter 17, verse 11. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. So this group of people who are a subculture in this world, 
a subculture that's been divinely appointed, called, saved, and set aside, they are left in the world. So that culture is embedded in the world. Yes, we are a subculture in this world, and we've been left there by Jesus Christ. We haven't chosen to stay back. We have been left here. We've been, we've been set aside to be in this, the greater culture, so that we become light and salt. So we become a witness. So we become the means whereby we can influence the greater culture through the preaching of the gospel, the reading of God's word, living lives that exemplify that we are Christ-like, that we are little, little Christ, that we are Christian. And by doing all of that, the, the combination of all that is that we as a subculture will then influence positively the major culture in as much as the Holy Spirit takes what we've done and softens their hearts. So we don't bring about the change. We are just merely the catalyst, the means whereby the change is done by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's word on hearts that he softens and then saves. Number three, are we opposed to this culture? We know we're embedded in the culture. We should be here for an inference, but are we opposed to the culture? Which is why I get back to those two terms that they're not mutually exclusive. Verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So, we are not of this world, and in that sense, we will always be opposed to the world because of the hatred the world has for Christ, they now have for us. And so there will always be a conflictual situation, a situation of conflict and of opposition, and of not finding common ground because there is no common ground between a world that is driven by a worldview that is satanic and a group of people who are driven by a worldview that is biblical. And the common ground is only Christ when the other side recognizes Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So, John chapter 17, in this prayer, the Lord brings together all those concepts of culture we spoke about this morning. And, he sh- and it starts making it relevant to us because this is why we are here. So often we say to ourselves, well, I'm not part of this world. In a sense, we're not part of this world. The Lord has said that. In another sense, we are. This is where we are, have been placed, have been left behind to be a witness and when we think about the fact that our lives are insignificant and doesn't count, our words count, our walk count, our examples count, the, uh, the lives we live before other people count, everything counts because we have been left as a subculture that has been divinely commissioned to go and witness to the greater culture, which is a lost culture. And by doing that, we do the work that Christ gave us to do. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Going to all the world and make disciples. Questions in closing. So you are staying at Gatsby's on Satanic <laughs> I kind of just stopped short of that. I've seen I've seen Gatsby's with horns and things coming out, so I'm quite frankly and very red baloney, so I'm gonna reserve my comments for a friendlier group. <clears throat> Give me a medium red steak anytime. <laughs> if you know uh, oh two hands at the back. Okay. Oh uh Yes, brother. Alton. Of the, uh, what term?
Yeah. Yep. Yep. Afraid of what? Afraid of going to jail or something like crime. Yeah. Yes. But for me, it's just saying I want to be obedient to God because He said I should be obedient to authority because He put them there to reflect. Now, yes, we're in the world, and we we as Christians would influence culture, but then our priority is actually avenging our own people to Christ. But there will be people who follow. So I'm going to now get, try to get through your, your, your string of questions. So, okay. Okay, can you save it for next week? Can they hold it next week? We're going to, we're going to start right there, but we'll try to answer one of your questions. Don, I'm going to say something and answer your question. I think you're trying to isolate the immoral and the amoral of the culture. Yes. Does that touch on your question at any rate, in any form or fashion, Alton? Yes. Not really? Does it answer your question? Partly. Partly. Okay, we'll do the rest next week. Okay, no, last. You get... Sorry? So I, I don't think I see you, but... No, uh, just Oh, okay, fine, all right. You said culture is bad, you want to get rid of it. We said start a culture that makes us the rest of the So, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. So can we get rid of culture? No. You can't. It's who we are. It's what we are. It's how we respond to our cultural influences that shape who we are. And unless you are born again... You get sucked into the culture of the world because that's all you can do. But that does not mean that those who are saved do not also fall into that trap. They don't lose their salvation, but they become socialized in such a way that they start looking exactly like the world. So we pick up on that point next week. It's an important point because that is going to drive into, now it's become my third lesson in the series.